to the TEH, the Tech Enthusiast Hour podcast, where several hosts talk about what they find interesting in tech this week. The show notes for this episode are at tehpodcast.com slash teh47. And the featured tweet this week is from Michael the Jongular, who uh, saw Gary the tip to or the link to WP Tips and Hacks and thought he was going to get some word perfect stuff. Too bad. Whoops. <laughs> anyway, I'm Randy Kessingham, founder of ThisIsTrue.com, the oldest entertainment feature on the internet, and the Randy behind the meme site, Randy's Random. Who's next? Kevin. Kevin. Am I? Okay. Then yeah. I'm, I'm Kevin. I'm next. <laughs> I am unable to read a list of names in order again. This is not my first time not being able to do this. I am Kevin. I am uh, the creator of freeprintable.net, which offers free printable documents and templates that you can print, and faxzero.com, which lets you send a fax for free to anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. I'm Leo Notenboom, and I can read lists. I'm also the chief question answerer at askleo.com. I'm also the publisher of a couple of non-techie sites, notallnewsisbad.com, a daily antidote to basically everything else, and heroicstories.org, twice weekly stories of people just being good people. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig, and I do a bunch of different things. I've got mobile games at clevermedia.com. I teach people how to use Macs at macmost.com, and I teach people WordPress stuff at wptipsandhacks.com. Where's so, the word perfect tips though? The word, yeah, that'll be now. Oh, I have to get to work on that. <laughs> I'll, I'll say use word perfect. I've never used that. I know. I, one I of still us use it. I love yeah, it. You're a fan. Yeah. So, right. what's been going on this week, guys? <laughs> well, I've been Ready? working on my own new uh, podcast relaunch, and I think it's finally in its groove. I'm very happy with it, and it's got some neat topics. Uh, this week, I'm talking about the. Uh, Big viral story last week about the bride and the little girl in the park and, and looking at it from a different point of view. And I'm really enjoying it. And apparently the listeners are too. The, the uh, listens are sweeping up and having fun with it. Cool. Nice. Kevin? I went to a birthday party for a website. Um <laughs> Bye. Anyone in particular? <laughs> well, yes. My uh, my friend uh, Jason Scott uh, it has a website that he started 20 years ago called textfiles.com. Um, I think I've seen that site. It's pretty popular and kind of well-known in, in certain circles. So uh, back back in the, in the 80s when BBSs were a thing, before blogs were a thing or any so, sort of social media, uh, people would would write uh, how tos or their opinions or or stories or whatever, and 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 put them into text files. They they were called text files because they were literally just ASCII text files, and they would get passed around on bulletin board systems. And uh, my buddy Jason started collecting them and and got thousands of them, uh, and then later made a website, and that website is now. 20 years old. So a lot of it is, uh, I mean, there's, there's humor files and there's like, like freaking and hacking and how to make a blue box and, and that sort of thing. Uh, anarchy files and ASCII art and BBS lists and how to cheat at 
various you know games from the eighties. So all these different files of of uh, stuff that was that people wrote back in in the in the early eighties. So he had this this uh, this party in New York for his his website. Um, a bunch of people, a bunch of friends and and fans of the site showed up, and he had a great idea to do readings of some of the text files. So about 10 people read portions of these old documents that are available on the site. Um, and uh, one of my, one of my favorites is one of the most popular ones on, on the site is uh, called uh, koalas or little bitches. And uh, it's just basically a list of reasons why koalas are bad animals that deserve to die. <laughs> a lot of this stuff is like written by, but they look so cute. <laughs> I know a lot of the stuff was written by, uh, kids you know who who were immature a lot of it's immature and stupid and and uh and some of it's not uh another one of the things that was read was uh the uh, uh x files was very popular at the time so it was like the the david Duchovny frequently asked questions list <laughs> and uh <laughs> and some of the questions were like why is he so dreamy and he just ridiculously uh <laughs> i i read uh a document since my my daughter was there who's 11 i read a document called how to have fun at your parents dinner party which was basically a uh, some ideas on how to be a complete jerk and ruin uh, a, a dinner party that you didn't want to be at so um it was a lot of fun and i met some nice people and um then came home here i am awesome Very cool um last week i started uh, very quietly launching a new uh, a new thing, I guess would be the best way to put it. Um, Ask Leo Shorts, basically short videos of um, just some of the really common things that people ask about that don't require a lengthy article or a lengthy answer. And I started posting some of those on YouTube. It's been, uh, as with all of these new things, it takes a while to to get the uh, the pieces in place and the, the machine running smoothly, but uh, so which is why it's been quiet. I haven't, and, you know, now this is literally the first time I've talked to it outside of uh, outside of the forums, and um, it'll be interesting to see where it goes. But uh, hopefully, you'll see more of more of these up on uh, on YouTube. So other than that, it's been, you know, the usual stuff. We've got a, a remodel going on. I, I ended up decommissioning one of my oldest laptops because it finally is giving up the ghost, which was always, it's always fun, you know, wiping the hard disk, taking the hard disk out and putting the machine ceremonially um, <laughs> in the recycle electronics box, you know, thanking it's for its years of service, that kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> Gary, how about you? Uh, you know, I've been pretty, uh, pretty busy working on my, my WP tips and hacks site. I actually started making a course for it. I, part of me wants to say, well, you know, just have the site for six months or a year and then do courses. But I, I'm just so excited about some of the ideas I have for doing WordPress courses that I just kept playing around with a table of contents and some notes and, and sure enough, now I'm kind of actually making the course. So, so that's, that's been fun. I, I like doing stuff like that. It combines my passion for coding and my passion for kind of teaching uh, something which they've always, well, they've been separate for the last few years. I'm either teaching stuff like Mac stuff or I'm coding like building games and this combines the two of them. So it's kind of neat. Nice. Can I tell a quick story about coding? <laughs> you just reminded me. <laughs> oh on yeah. The, on the, on the airplane uh, flying home mm-hmm. late at night last night from, from New York back to Portland. Um, I'm sitting there with my laptop and I'm 
continuing to, like I, I said a couple weeks ago, uh, learning uh, uh, Python. So I'm sitting there with my digital book of Python and I'm trying things. And my daughter is uh, kind of has her head in my lap and she's like trying to, trying to go to sleep. So I'm scrolling slowly through, through this book and trying the examples. And I can't tell if she's asleep or not. She's, you know, her head's on my lap kind of facing the other way. And then she reaches up to my trackpad and like scrolls back to reread something. <laughs> and I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> not only are you not asleep, you're reading my Python book. So then she sits up and she says, I have an idea for a game. And over the course of the next 45 minutes, she coded a game in Python. Um, a little, a little really? soup, a, a simple little text, you know, ask you a question and you say yes or no. And, and, um, and it gives different responses. And, and she just like saw how I had things laid out and like how an if statement work. And she just, copied it you know just like the, the the kind of the template of like oh this this is how and she just yeah so she made her first python game on on an airplane at like you know one in the morning when she should have been sleeping wow that's <laughs> impressive the force yeah. is, the force is strong with her yes it is yeah <laughs> yeah so yeah that was fun. awesome that's yeah. awesome yeah so what's been going on this week oh nothing Kevin, I think you're up oh, first. See it's, me, see, it's me again. You just need to post or read the list. Come on. <laughs> we need a little, like, you need to attach, like, a little thing to your, your wrist. A and on, like, little snapper. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, the news from the Copyright Office is good. Uh, copyright Office ruling issues sweeping right to repair reforms. So, let's see. There's this thing called the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, and in general, it uh, protects copyright holders and screws people who own things uh, such as as movies and phones and computers because uh, they say basically doing much of anything to it in the way of, of hacking or opening it up or figuring out how it works can be uh, technically illegal um, breaking this the, the, the DMCA law. But every couple of years, the Copyright Office can look at the list and uh, make specific exemptions. And this year, the list of exemptions uh, and, and freedoms, basically, that, that they have given us has, uh, has, has come out. And it's, it's uh, mostly really good stuff. Um, the things, uh, basically, that you're allowed to circumvent the DMCA for, for certain purposes. For instance, uh, now you can jailbreak uh, uh, Alexa hardware and other similar gadgets. They're calling them voice assistant devices. You are free to jailbreak them and hack them and make them do what you want. Um, you can now unlock, before you could un unlock uh, used phones. Uh, so a phone recycler could, could, uh, could unlock a phone and, and resell it. But now you can unlock new phones. So that's awesome. And uh, also got a general exemption for the repair of smartphones, home appliances, and home systems, which means it's legal to uh, root and, and fix. Uh, for instance, uh, if, a pro if a company comes out with a product uh, and then shuts, it, shuts down the servers that make it work, which happened with uh, the Google's Revolve smart home hubs, um, it's now legal to hack it and make it work without the... the uh, compliance of the company that sold it to you. 
Um, you can repair motorized land vehicles, including tractors, uh, by modifying software. That's now legal. Um, and I think this is the driver, actually, for this whole thing, because John Deere was really keeping people, you know, the, these farmers from repairing their own trucks. Right. And, yeah. And tractors. yeah. Tractor would break, and you, you you could only get it repaired by the John Deere, uh, you know, local authorized service guy, and pay what they. And, and if you wanted to fix it yourself, you legally yeah. weren't allowed to, right? And so if you did it anyway, then John Deere wouldn't support it. Right. Yeah. Um, so now you can, you are legally allowed to to hack your car or your tractor or other. Hey, Leo, can I play with your Tesla? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, it's funny because I was actually going to mention that I, this has got to be a complete coincidence, but uh, Tesla actually released the parts catalog for their cars today. Oh, really? Uh, I didn't hear yes, that. Yes, it actually got announced this afternoon. On one hand, it seems like a total coincidence. On the other hand, what a coincidence. <laughs> that kind of so, cracks me up. So this whole thing, correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin. Um, it, it goes back to, you know, a lot of these companies were trying to stop people from modifying their products by claiming that because their soft, software was copy, copywritten, that if you went in to try to fix something, that it was basically the equivalent to like taking a novel and then rewriting a couple paragraphs and then publishing it. Something know? like that. Yeah. Some, Which is some, like of, and some, some of their, their reasons seemed... Um, really not even that strong of an argument. For instance, one of the reasons that, that uh, John Deere said they didn't want people hacking on their software is because in, in, in some of their equipment, you can you know, play CDs and, and, and DVDs you know, through the, the entertainment system. It's like, well, uh, people could hack the system and then use it to copy movies and... and Right. And, They're going to yeah. use your tractor for that. Yeah, you can use your tractor to, to <laughs> make a copy of, of you know, your, your favorite blue, you know, DVD or whatever. Uh, you know, the, their their real reason is, I think, to to sell more service. And oh, yeah, to, the real reason. Yeah. yeah. I'm just trying yeah. to figure out why, why, they were, why they had resorted to using copyright law to do that. I thought it was because they, you know, they, they couldn't – they were unsuccessful in getting people to stop doing it through other legal means, you know, saying like, oh, it's part of our contract, you know, the end user license agreement, mm -hmm. any of that, that, none of that stuff worked. So they eventually said, oh, we found an obscure way to use copyright law to prevent you from, you know, fixing your car, fixing. But it's, it's interesting because when you take a look at copyright law, the, the, all, the argument we always get about copyright law is that, well, since I'm not reselling what I've, what I've broken, what I've, what I've copied, therefore it should be okay. And in a lot of ways, um, that's what's going on here. You're basically fixing something purely for yourself. You're not really even making an additional copy. You're fixing the copy you have. Right. If there was one... Um, semi-legitimate leg, what I was expecting you to say was that John Deere was going to claim some kind of a safety issue in that, you know, if you are not someone who is, you know, well-versed in the John Deere way of writing code or whatever that is, uh, it would be very easy for you to make a mistake in your code and then have your tractor run amok. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and I don't think this is so much about coding and, and doing this kind of hacking. I think it's really seriously just 
replacing parts and stuff. I don't think they're really expecting anybody to decompile the EE prom and and oh, I disagree. I disagree with that totally. I I mean, sure, it's going to happen here and there. People do that with with cars. I mean, you know, they they will change the the code in their Prius to make it run like a hot rod because it's all software. Yeah, you know, know, that's happening already, and it'll only happen more now that people know that it's kind of legal. So yeah, no, that part doesn't. But to me, like if they had a, if they had a legal leg to stand on at all, and I, like I said, I'm surprised that that wasn't where they went, was uh, safety related. Well, they might go there next. You never know. Yeah, that might be the they next might. step. For, but all they can really do, all they can really do in a case like that, though, is distance themselves from the outcome. In other words, hmm. we're not responsible for what happens next. Once you've once you've opened the box, once you've broken the seal, once you've you know done whatever. Yeah, the problem will come when there's um, malicious updates. So, like, okay, it's one thing if you take your tractor and you you hack into it and change the software. But it, most people aren't going to be able to do that. But they will be able to get this download from some guy off the internet that says that, you know, your tractor will run 5% more efficiently with my software. And they install that software. And the tractor does run 5% more efficiently until six months later where the malware kicks in and the tractor starts running amok. It starts mining Bitcoin. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Farming. I'm a farming Bitcoin. Get it? Farming. Uh, uh, I love it. Uh, right. Or, 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 you know, you don't like your, your neighbor farmer and yeah. you want his, his tractor to work 10% less efficiently. So you secretly install software on. Or, his, or you get the, you know, the, the malware that you know shuts your tractor down until you pay a ransom mm-hmm. you know so yeah. it's like oh your tractor is going to be useless until you pay this ransom and then i'll unlock it and yeah meanwhile meanwhile the harvest is it's harvest time right right you know yeah. so you can't you're, wait for so wow. your, your tractor is sitting out there quietly doing nothing but mining bitcoin that you can't even use to pay the ransom so that you can get the tractor. <laughs> exactly and the wheat is dying <sighs> yep yeah anyway, it is it is interesting so, so the one ramification that i was kind of curious about is um drm because this all gets gets wrapped up into the drm yeah. uh, you mentioned the digital uh, millennium copyright act so is it finally legal for me to make a backup copy of my DVD? Uh, In your movies? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I hope because so. I've been, well, it, it seems like it would have to be because one of the ways that these manufacturers are protecting themselves is by, is using encryption. And the, the, co- the concept behind DRM and the DCMA is that, or DMCA, is that uh, you, it's illegal to decrypt. The act of decrypting a DVD is illegal. And that's what you have to do to make a copy. Isn't that also what you have to do to watch it? <laughs> well, you're not doing it, right? The device is doing it. The, the authorized device oh, is doing okay. it, but you're not, you're not doing it um, uh, you know, so, you know, on the side. But in a lot of ways, it seems like that would have to be set aside in order for a lot of these uh, right to fix, right to repair kind of, of scenarios to be able to work out. So I'm just curious if it, if it trickled downstream to, to the, the more uh, banal, not nearly as exciting as your tractor running amok uh, scenario of being able to back up your DVD. Right. And, and I know people who have, have giant, you know, Plex servers running on a NAS that, that have hundreds of movies not that, that any of them would be here 
No, not that anyone <laughs> no, would be here. But not at all. I've heard, I've heard tell of this sort of thing. I have and, heard this as well, yes. And yes, is is moving it from one media to to a, a hard drive illegal? I Probably. Um, Te- I am not technically a it is because, because in order to do so, it had to be decrypted. And that was an illegal step right then and there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm curious to see if, if this right to repair actually is, turns into a right to back up. Right. Yeah, I don't know. But and with the DVD thing, I mean, first of all, you don't tell anybody, you're fine. You just, you know, you're not, it's just for your private use. And right. second of all, I mean, I think especially if you hold on to the original media and you can say, look, I physically own this, then that would probably be a, a safe uh, barrier to getting. You would support. hope anyway. People, 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 that have, people that have done this, I'm sure, hope that's the case, yes. <laughs> right. So, Randy, speaking of, I don't know, nothing. What's going well, on with Speaking Tesla? of vehicles. Vehicles. Okay, good time. Yes. <laughs> so, Hubble Telescope points itself by using gyroscopes. And they, these are moving parts that they know fail. So, one of the things it has is spares. And when they did the Hubble repair missions you know, some years ago, one of the things they took up were new gyroscopes to replace them. Because, you know, they, they fail once in a while. Well, the problem was the last gyroscope failed. So it was kind of dead in the water, if you will. Um, And so it's kind of funny the way this one site put it, that um, they fixed it by turning it off and on again. It's a little more complicated than that because, you know, they they shook it around and, you know, got the the dust out of it, if you will, uh, and basically recovered the telescope because it's now working again. So you have to you have to reboot it, and also you have to hit it a couple yeah. times. That's yeah, the, the yeah it's like, kind of like hitting your TV and adjusting the rabbit ears. That's <laughs> essentially what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it was, the headline it, basic. The headline implied that they rebooted the Hubble, and that's simply not the case. Yeah, I mean, but, they they do this stuff like that all the time. I mean, it, they've got two computers; they can shut down one and reboot one while the other is doing stuff. But right. Right. That's not quite what happened, yeah. But, I mean, the little gyroscopes, yeah, they turned them off, and before they spun all the way down, they turned them back on again to try and jostle things loose. I just love this concept of taking this multi-million dollar... Billion. Is it? Well, multi-billion dollar, fine, um, device that's that's circling the Earth. And how do you fix it? You just sort of shake it around a little bit. (laughs) Hope that that whatever it was dislodges. Um, I, I... that kind of cracked me up. And apparently it worked. It's awesome. So how yeah. long was it down? Uh, October 5th is when it went into the safe mode, which is you know what, what they do when they have anomalies. And, uh, and basically they, they try to just get it to do things like point its, its solar panels at the, sun, at the sun or point its antenna or things like that, uh, just so that they can have time to you know, figure out what's wrong and figure out how they're going to fix it. And so, you know, it took them a few weeks to figure out what they were going to do, and they did it, and it worked. A few weeks is just enough time for the alien fleet to come into Earth orbit and hide itself behind the moon. Wait for without the have, Hubble noticing. I'm not saying it's aliens, but yeah. it's aliens. <laughs> so when, what, is, what was the original life expectancy for Hubble? Oh, it was supposed to be dead long ago. That's what I thought. So basically, yeah. much like one of the Mars rovers, it's like we're living on you know, every day is a gift. Right? Every, everything they've been able to do with it since that life expected life expectancy is, is just bonus. And they've managed to stretch it out some more, which is, like I said, awesome. 
Yeah, I think it was launched in 19, yeah, April 24th, 1990. So it's been going for 28 years. Right. And you know all the technology on there, except you know, the things that have been replaced by repair missions. But even like that's 30, probably- 35 years old. Right, but even the stuff that's been replaced, that was probably, what, a decade or so ago? So even that's yeah. old by today's technology. Absolutely. So, so that, that it's, we're able to keep it going and you know, basically get more out of the financial investment we've made with it. Right. Great. Yep. Yep. It's probably all written in COBOL. Oh, it probably is. <laughs> Pascal. I'm surprised it didn't spiral into the atmosphere in Y2K. <laughs> You know, I'm I'm absolutely positive that somebody somewhere, his job was to sit there at uh, wherever they control it. I don't know if they control it at JPL or, or somewhere else, but his job was to sit there on December the 31st, 1999 and Could watch be. for something going wrong. So anyway. I don't need to go any on any more about that. I just thought it was really cool. And, yeah, uh, that is super cool. Geek, so. so Leo. So, yeah, I'm trying to come up with a good segue, and there isn't one because Hubble's <laughs> not in the cloud. But um, so as it turns out, clouds. IBM, IBM is purchasing uh, a company called Red Hat for $34 billion. Now, what's interesting about Red Hat, a lot of you may not have heard of Red Hat. They are a company who is currently best known for commercial uh, distribution of a specific Linux variant called, no surprise, Red Hat Linux. But they don't and, sell it. I'm sorry? And they don't sell it. They give it away. They, they are required to give away the Linux component of it, but everything else, all the value add, like, say, support, yeah. um, they absolutely make, um, make money on IBM, it's interesting to me to look back at IBM because IBM's had a shaky, you know, I don't know, few decades, I'll say, ever since the PC actually came out. Um, they had their heyday back in the 80s and the early 90s when the IBM PC was the PC to have. But they've kind of sort of faded from the landscape since then. And in the intervening years, I'm not sure what they've been up to, but they've been Lots watching. of consulting systems and engineering, stuff like that. Probably. But what they've been doing is they've been watching and I think they finally realized that, you know what, this cloud thing, we should do something with that. And their solution to doing something with that was to buy what turns out to be one of the, one of the larger cloud service, not necessarily providers, but a company that has a lot of expertise with open source and cloud software. So it'll be interesting to see where this one takes off. Um, it's it's just one of those. We'll see where they go from a, from a consumer perspective, from a small business perspective, from a you know people who are using these kinds of services. This is one of those ones. Well, to watch. We really kind of wondered about Microsoft buying GitHub for seven point five billion, which mm-hmm. seemed like a lot, and now this is thirty four billion, which is like twelve times annual earnings. And I, right. I don't know how they're going to make their money back. I have a they... lot of websites, and none of them is sold for any billion, and I'm a little disappointed. Yeah, I've got a couple too. They're yeah, they're for sale at the right price. I was <laughs> going to say, yeah, as do I. So if you've got a spare billion, you know, Leo at askleo.com, and I will, I will definitely, 
um, entertain the uh, the offer. Now, the idea is that um, they're trying to stay stay relevant, and I don't know if this is a true opportunity for them to do so, or uh, if this is like the last gasp of a company that is fading into irrelevancy, not unlike, say, Sears in the retail world. Well, you know, um, IBM has been known as Big Blue, especially when they were dominant. They're not dominant anymore, so they bought Red Hat, so now they're going to be what, Big Purple? Don't know. <laughs> um, it's interesting because yeah. years ago, and I know that this is true for several of us, um, the when we initially launched our various websites, a lot of them were actually running on Red Hat Linux. And at that time, at one point, they spun off what is now CentOS, uh, C-E-N-T-O-S, Linux, which is, which is a free and open source complete version of Linux uh, that basically replaced the old, uh, truly free uh, Red Hat Linux. It's based off of the Red Hat tree at the time. And as it turns out, I believe that's what most of us are running. We're running derivatives of what used to be Red Hat Linux. Yep. Right. And we're running, uh, what, cPanel and Web Host Manager on top of them. And that's the added value, right, that we're actually paying for, even right. though it doesn't look like, you know, we're not actually seeing that up front. Where if you look at it, we are actually paying for those a little bit. Yeah, it's an it's a, it's an, it is actually depending on the hosting company, but I know for ours, it is like an extra couple of bucks a month or something yep. like that to have that on top of there. But yeah, that's what we're paying for, for sure. The operating system is free. Um, it's just, it's just interesting. Like I said, it'll be interesting to see where this turns out, uh, where this heads in the next few years. 34 billion is a lot of money. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So Kevin, you came up with something that got me all excited. Oh, good. Yeah. I'm glad to have excited you. Uh, Google is taking the CAPTCHA out of reCAPTCHA. Uh, if you have ever been to a website and you all of a sudden uh, the website asks you to enter some uh, random letters and numbers to prove that you are a human and not a robot, or if the uh, website asks you to click on some street signs uh, to prove you can tell the difference between a street sign and a not a street sign, um, <laughs> then you have experienced CAPTCHA. And CAPTCHA is a, basically a system to, uh, th that, that computers, site, that sites can use to make sure that you are a real, actual human person and not some bot who are set to do bad things. So which, one of the, which is a real problem. It is a, it's a huge, huge issue. Uh, and one of the most popular CAPTCHA services is uh, owned by Google. It's called reCAPTCHA. Uh, it started off with uh, uh, people, it would show you a, a, a couple words from a, from a book. Actually, it was books that needed to be digitized. Uh, and you would type a couple of words and it would make sure that that was good. And then they changed it later and uh, teaching uh, driving systems. So it was a lot of clicking on clicking on cars and what's a bus and which is a street sign and a lot of road construction and stuff like that. And But the new the change here is that Google today uh, launched an update to its, its reCAPTCHA uh, that where you don't need to do anything. And basically, it, Google says that uh, it will observes how regular users interact with that website and the different sections of the website, and uh, it will detect weirdness, any abnormalities or whatever, and, and decide uh, uh, if, if you are a 
person or a, a robot. In fact, it will uh, assign a score to users, a, a, a call it a risk score, which will go from point zero point one, which is bad, bad, you probably a robot doing bad things, to one, which is like guaranteed human. So somewhere on the scale from point one to one, and uh, it will f- give that information back to the site owner, and then the site administrator can decide how the website will behave uh, based on based on that. Um, maybe they'll they'll decide the threshold is whatever point seven, and if you're point seven, then sure you can go into the form, you can post. But if you're a point three, then it sends you on your way or whatever it is. Or um, or they can do a um, you know a telephone verification that they're a real person. Like Google will actually text them and say what what's this code. Hmm. Which is really fascinating. Yeah. So anyway, uh, that's basically the news is that they're updating reCAPTCHA and I'm going to like that because it means a lot less, uh, hopefully it will mean a lot less clicking on, on so, identifying buses. So one of the reasons, I got, I got really excited about this for two reasons. One is it's a common complaint for what I'll call the average computer user. I mean, they, they had a bad enough time um, identifying squiggly characters and matching, you know, finding the, the bust in the, in the grid of pictures was even harder because the pictures were clearly either not very high resolution, they're very small. If you have any eyesight problems at all, it, it becomes a real challenge. Um, so to see that go away for them is great. The other side of it is that when I'm traveling, uh, or even sometimes just at Starbucks, I'll be using a VPN. And I'm absolutely convinced that uh, some of the sites have the VPN IP addresses uh, listed. I don't want to say blacklisted, but I'll just call them maybe gray listed in the sense that if you're coming in on this VPN, yep. you're going to really have to work hard to I've prove it. I've seen exactly that. Yeah, I've seen, and, I've seen that too. And I've had three or four in a row of these, these, you know, identify the thing, identify the street sign. Okay. Now identify the car. Okay. Now identify the crosswalk, identify the storefront. Finally, finally they'll let me in. It's very, very frustrating. And I'm really, really looking forward to this, you know, less intrusive approach to, uh, to verifying that. Yes, indeed. I'm a human. I may not be a 1.0 human, uh, but I'm happy to be like a. <laughs> well, I could have told your that. score, right? I mean, it's just like finding out what your Uber score is, right? As a as a as a rider, you know. Oh, I've got a 4.8 as a rider. I want to know what my human score is. It's like, yeah. am I at 9.2? Am I or 0.92 or 0.98? How human am I? How how close to one can I be? Um, but Leo, what actually, you're saying, yeah. If they're if they are providing that information back to a site owner. It wouldn't be that hard to uh, put up a little site that just takes the capture, takes oh, yeah. this thing, and returns the number. That sounds like a good one for you, Kevin. You could do it in Python. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have, my, have my kid do it in Python. No, yeah, have you could do it. The uh, no, you know what really makes me angry about this whole thing about you know you, you're using a VPN and then you get hit with one of these things because you know they seems like they may have blacklisted some VPN addresses is you're actually doing responsible thing. You're trying to make yourself more secure. Yes. You know, you're at a cafe or a hotel or wherever it is, and you're saying, I'm going to be a responsible internet user. I'm going to use a VPN to make sure that, you know, I'm not vulnerable to many different things. And your reward for that is Google's punishing you 
by saying, now we don't trust you. <laughs> we would trust you if you would just be on the, the Starbucks internet raw, but since you're using a VPN, you're going to have to go through all these extra hoops, and maybe that'll teach you. Maybe you'll just put yourself at risk next time and not use the VPN. So that that, that kind of makes me mad. It's It should be the opposite. Yeah, no, I've, yeah, I've had that thought. Like, uh, I, I should fire up the VPN, but mm, this site's going to make me click on you know, taxis all day. And <laughs> oh. and and sometimes they are impossible. You know, they'll be like, it'll be like traffic lights and there'll be a few pixels of the bottom of one traffic light in the next image. And you'd be like, but does that count? Yes. You know, or, or is that, that oh, a car? Exactly. There's a, that's a van or there's a tractor in this one. Is that counting as a car? I don't know. You know, and you, so you just have to guess and ugh, I hate that. Cause I, yeah. you know, especially if you have OCD, Right, and it says click on the three things that have cars, and there's like one that you're not sure because it's technically could be considered a car, but it's not. You're like, I don't want this unsureness. I want to know, like, these are the four ones I should click on, or these are the three ones I should click on. Um, so anyway, yeah. So Kevin, I had a question. Mm. The original version of reCAPTCHA yeah. uh, that Google purchased, actually, and I think they purchased it from Cambridge, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, was this concept of here's a couple of words. They're kind of distorted. Mm -hmm. One of them we know, and the other one we're not sure of, so we're having you do manual OCR. Yes. Have we run out of books to digitize? I don't think so. I just think that they decided that, that was a waste of our time. Um, I, I think that I think they just abandoned being useful in that way. Um, I still see it occasionally. I've seen it recently. So. I haven't seen it. I probably haven't seen it in a couple of years. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was a fascinating way to crowdsource, you know, a solution oh, to a particular problem. But right. Yeah. The only uh, the only thing I can think of is that perhaps the other more efficient automated solutions have reached a uh, uh, threshold or quality threshold that makes them more efficient overall. Perhaps. But probably not perfect, and putting a human eyes on it is always going to make it better. Yeah. If you do enjoy uh, making uh, electronic books better, uh, and you don't, you know, and, and you like proofreading uh, captions and that sort of thing, uh, <laughs> there's a way you can volunteer to do that. There's a there's a website that I've known about for at least a decade called Distributed Proofreaders, and and uh, it provides a easy way to help convert public domain books into eBooks. Uh, they they are part of uh, a project Gutenberg, which has been around forever. Uh, and this site has has uh, help has uh, converted uh, more than thirty six thousand books um, into ASCII form. So they scan them, they run them through OCR, and then people go through several layers of checking them to make sure to, to make, uh, proofread them, make, make them better. Um, uh, I think it's like three different layers of, of, of volunteers who are doing different things. So basically, you, it gives you a page of text, uh, uh, the, the scan, it gives you the, the page of text uh, OCR version, and you try to find any problems you can and, and submit them. And, and uh, um, together, this volunteer community has just done thousands and thousands and thousands of, of books that are now in ASCII form. That's awesome. Which yeah. is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, that is cool. I, I, hell, I'll probably look at the link when it's posted in the show notes and, 
it seems like something to do when you're bored, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For a while, I don't, for a while they were asking people like to just do a page a day. It's just like, man, if, every, if everyone did a page a day, we'd get, you know, so many, uh, so much done. And, you know, I, su- my, su- I suppose that this is really done by a, you know, probably a core group of a few hundred or sure thousand people who, who are just into it. But uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. I'll put a link to that in the show notes and, and uh, show notes are at tehpodcast.com. Cool. So T-E-H 47. Huh. There you go. So, uh, Gary, more about yeah. Bitcoin? Oh, well, this, I just thought this was an interesting little story here on CNET. Um, that kind of makes sense. It's kind of something I already knew about. Um, but this article claims that, uh, it's a little commentary, that Bitcoin is going to ruin the world. <laughs> um, and there's probably a lot of people saying, oh, yeah, I knew it. But this is very, ruin the world in a very particular way. Uh, climate-wise, because the deal is Bitcoin actually takes a lot of electricity, right? You have people that have Bitcoin servers, and by running Bitcoin servers, you can get rewarded with Bitcoin. You're earning Bitcoin. But what those servers are actually doing, of course, is processing Bitcoin transactions. And it's all part of the blockchain that Bitcoin runs. So every time you do a transaction, like buy or sell or transfer some Bitcoin, you you know all these all the bitcoin servers in the world have to basically confirm that transaction and it takes processing power computers just sitting there running and doing these mathematical calculations to to uh confirm the transaction and it takes a lot of electricity the bigger bitcoin gets the more transactions the more bitcoin that's out there the more electricity each transaction uses and it's actually using up quite a bit of electricity even at the rate it's being used now. And since most of us, even the four of us here, are not doing regular Bitcoin transactions, you know, we're not buying stuff with Bitcoin, we're not selling stuff with Bitcoin, all that. It's just an occasional thing. Um, it's not much now, but if Bitcoin were to be successful, you know, ultimately years from now, and it become something that is regularly used by everybody, uh, that would probably produce, uh, it would require so much electricity that we'd be burning so much fuel to create that electricity that it's just going to heat up the earth <laughs> and uh, be really bad for climate change. So I thought that was interesting. I think that there's a solution for it. They just, you know, it'll, I don't know what the solution is, but I think at some point um, there'll be a way to do all these Bitcoin transactions without using so much electricity. Uh, it, if um, if I understand it correctly, so Bitcoin is the first most popular and most notable uh, uh, example of digital currency basically operating off of what we call blockchain. And my understanding is that there have been alternative blockchain technologies um, proposed and even implemented, perhaps even for some of the other digital currencies, that don't have the same high energy requirement. Bitcoin is suffering from its popularity as much as it is its underlying technology. Um, What I wanted to mention is that the the power usage is in fact intentional. Uh, As part of uh, Bitcoin's, how do I want to put it? They're, they're, they're literally the algorithm that makes Bitcoin Bitcoin, or actually that makes their blockchain the blockchain, 
There is a fair amount of work required by thousands of these Bitcoin linked computers to prove that they've done the work. Um, and uh, the first one that gets an answer to a very complex mathematical question correct wins the prize. There's money involved. It's a Bitcoin, like you said. Um, I'm actually linking to um, an article of my own in show notes because it's a, it's a fascinating, if you're a technology geek at all, and we certainly are, if it's a, it's a fascinating concept of exactly how and why Bitcoin mining actually does what it does. Because that's what we're talking about here. It's Bitcoin mining that takes all the electricity. Um, but yes, I'm hopeful that in the, uh, in the not too distant future, like you said, Gary, they will solve this problem by coming up with a less electricity intensive, less computationally intensive solution to the problem. Yes, and actually, I believe I remember reading your article on uh, Bitcoin, and it was uh, one of the, you know, best just simple descriptions of how this works that I was able to find. It was a long time ago, right? This was you've had this article for a couple of years, right? Uh, not quite a couple of years. Let me check the date here real quick. But yeah, it's definitely. I mean, it's definitely written for the for the layman. Yeah, yeah if if a couple of years ago is like last July then yes. Yeah, yeah, that's probably about. <laughs> well, that's probably about when I read it. Cool. So, so yeah, we'll see. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the uh, future of Bitcoin is going to be or any of these digital currencies. So, we'll see. Or cryptocurrencies, as they're called. Cryptocurrencies is the, is the yeah, because it's a compli- complicated mix of... Um, both cryptography and computational computation and so forth that makes all this happen. It's funny. Um, there have been a couple of um, comics, like newspaper comics or web comics, lately that have, um, including Dilbert, if I'm not mistaken. There's a move right now to you know, blockchain is the answer to everything, mm. and you know it's not. It's <laughs> it's it's interesting technology. It solves some interesting te- it's uh, interesting problems. It really is just a distributed database, a highly distributed database. But um, now, of course, it's the current buzzword, the buzzword du jour, and every everybody that wants to make sure their their current product is cutting edge, they have to figure out a way to use blockchain. And I've seen a couple of companies that changed their name to include the word blockchain and saw their stock go up. It's just it's crazy. It's, it's silly. Yeah. So anyway, speaking of silly. Yes. Facebook portal. Yeah. Uh, we talked about that, I don't know, a week or two or three ago. Um, Facebook, quote, admits, unquote, that it's new spy equipment, quote, unquote, can spy on you. Uh, it's a Gizmodo story that basically says, yeah, I mean, you got to be, be careful or, or at least consider carefully, do you really want this Facebook-controlled camera and microphone in your house? And basically, I think all of us said, no thanks. <laughs> but We said no thanks to our, to our Alexas who were listening at the time, yes. <laughs> <laughs> our answers were noted. And, <laughs> and at least it doesn't have a camera. But um, Actually, some do. Gizmodo does say that yeah, they're going to be collecting data about you and using that to target ads at you. Like, yeah. 
I mean, I think that was a no-brainer and obvious, yeah. um, but supposedly uh, Facebook is admitting it now, which is the, the difference. What I find fascinating uh, is that in recent, like the last few days, uh, we're actually going through a bit of a remodel here in part of the house, and part of that has caused us to essentially take our the, the television set that we watch most of our TV on um, offline, uh, including the DVR that goes with it. So I've been basically playing around with um, streaming various shows uh, in different ways. And one of the things that absolutely fascinates and frustrates me is that, yeah, Facebook is advertising the portal very, very heavily, uh, at least to mm. me. <laughs> all right. <laughs> they may just be targeting me for all I know. <laughs> yeah, it may be. But, but the bottom line is that they're actually pushing this really, really hard. And what they're pushing, you know, this concept of it's a really smart camera. It can follow you around the room as you have a conversation with your grandparents or whatever. Yes, that's kind of cool. And, and I get how that's appealing when you're trying to have a, a conversation with someone who's not nearby. On the other hand, um, it means that it's got a camera that can follow you around the room, whether you think it's on or not. Uh, that, that part is, is actually kind of sort of unnerving. If Facebook had a better reputation for privacy, I think a lot of us would, wouldn't be as concerned as we are. Uh, but the bottom line is that this is just another, yet another item uh, that, uh, that is obviously giving Facebook more data about who we are, what we do, right. and apparently what we look like. I mean, some, there's some people who aren't, aren't going to trust this sort of device in, under any circumstances. And right. I can understand that. I, I don't really agree with it, but I, I get that philosophy. But it, it comes down to what company are you going to trust your life with? Would I trust it with Apple? Yeah, I would. You know, I, I think that Apple generally has its users back when it comes to privacy. Will I trust it with Amazon? Yes, I, I do. I have an Alexa and I don't think it's spying on me and nothing has ever happened to make me think that Amazon is the kind of company that is that is going to do bad with data about me. Facebook, on the other hand, has proven itself again and again to be uh, just a untrustworthy bag of <laughs> unpleasant. And don't, untrustworthy don't hold people. back. Say what you really think. <laughs> <laughs> and this whole story reminded me of something I read in Vice back in June, uh, which is this security guy tested Facebook because he had apparently the Facebook Messenger on a, on his phone, and he would say things not to the phone, but mm -hmm. make you know he didn't have the Messenger activated, things like that. Yeah, just like a random phone. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking about going back to school, and overnight he suddenly started getting advertisements on Facebook about, hey, look, university courses, mm -hmm. and I think I need to buy some new jeans. And suddenly he gets these clothing ads. You know, is it is it real? It's interesting. That I've I've heard reports of this from time to time, and th there's two ways that this can go. If someone you know, like you know, a, a researcher or a journalist or whatever, is 
specifically testing this, it's very easy to test. You say something and then you never, ever, ever mention it digitally or you know, any other way. When, when the average consumer does this, what they forgot is that they searched for it the day before. Right, and, maybe. And that they left some kind of, a, of an actual digital trail that didn't involve the microphone. That did allow Facebook to actually do this. Uh, and, and it could hope somebody who's a security researcher would do this really carefully and well. I, exactly, yeah. That, that's kind of sort of my point. I think a lot of people run into it accidentally by, by not realizing that simply visiting, say, the uh, a Levi's.com site would be enough potentially to tell Facebook you're interested in genes because of the way Facebook uses tracking pixels, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, actually, you should say the way Levi's uses tracking pixels, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm not saying that they do. They're just an example. But the point is that you could spend your entire day away from Facebook and still have it be aware of what you did that day. Um, but if a security researcher is doing this and doing this intentionally, there's a really good chance that, yep, it really is doing what he thinks it is. Well, and, and what I've seen... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Gary. Oh, well, what I've seen, another uh, way it works is that somebody goes and sees an ad on Facebook and says, wait a minute, I was just talking about that the other day, but I hadn't searched for that. I'm sure I haven't done anything. And come to the conclusion that there's something listening. And, but in fact, if you think about it, number one, you probably talked about lots of things, right, over the last couple of days. And number two, you're getting lots of ads. And it's just you made a mental connection that you saw, say, an ad for pants, and you happen to be talking to your spouse about getting new pants the other day. But you actually talked to your spouse about hundreds of different topics, and you're seeing hundreds of different ads. You just kind of were able to make that mental connection because our brains are really good at doing that, making connections like that. And you know, I think that happens a lot. And also, when you when somebody hears about this, they may ignore. They 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 train themselves to ignore ads online, right? So you may be seeing hundreds of online ads every day if you're looking at news, if you're browsing Facebook. But then the minute you hear this, like you hear us talking about it, then suddenly you start paying attention to the ads, and then you see that ad for pants, and you think, wait a minute, I was talking about buying new pants the other day, and there's an ad for it. Ah, but it's just the chances. The chances are, if you look at enough ads, you're going to see something that reminds you about something you were talking about the other day, and then draw that conclusion for it. So anyway. And I think the only way to do it is to actually test and talk about something that you really actually have no interest in whatsoever, but there are advertisers who will pay good money to reach you and see what happens. And this really reminds me of, of like five years ago, uh, there was a whole bunch of burglaries in my neighborhood and I was talking with my wife about it and she picked up her phone and she Googled alarm companies. So looked at a couple, you know, what companies are in her area and that kind of stuff. The next day she started getting phone calls from alarm companies. I didn't get such phone calls. She did. It was on her phone. Mm. So I, and I, I vaguely recall that like a year later, there was an article that Google admitted that they were providing phone numbers to advertisers. Um, it's long enough ago that I'm, I'm sure I can't find the article anymore, but it just goes to show that things that can happen 
if they want to push the envelope. I think that that's one of the, it goes back to the privacy thing that, that Kevin was mentioning earlier. I mean, some companies clearly do this kind of thing. Some companies clearly don't. And it's who do you want to trust with the information about what you're doing? And it's really hard to avoid all the other ones. Um, like I said, Facebook is really, really hard to avoid uh, just because of the way that they've structured their advertising technology. Uh, same with Google. It's very, very difficult to avoid um, any interaction with Google simply because they own so much of the advertising market. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if the if the currently at least Kevin, I agree with you. I trust Amazon. I've you know I've I've got the I've got Alexis. Actually, I've got three of them turned on right now, and with two more on my desk. <laughs> um, and I you know I I trust them. As they enter the advertising market, will that trust continue to be uh, to be justified? I don't know. It'll be interesting to see where it goes, which is something I say a lot. Yes. Well, that's kind of the – that's because we talk about the technology and, yeah, the future, and we'll see. It's great that we're talking about things because that is, I think, half the battle right there is that not, not, not just we like the four of us, but everybody is. These articles that we're citing, right. the, uh, the, that's half the battle, just having those things exposed. I read a lot of dystopian science fiction, and one thing that a lot of them have in common is when, these, when bad things happen, you, you know, when those simplified – universes of those stories they don't have this kind of discourse where we talk about it and people demand their privacy for years and years and point out every time there's a breach and every time all this you know that's the kind of thing that you know keeps companies and governments in line over the long term but it's an ongoing thing it's ongoing maintenance of our privacy and security and our democracy yep. yeah Cool. Yeah, I well, think that's a great place to wrap. Yeah, that's a great place to wrap. Great place. Yeah. Well, What's what coming we up this week? This? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for me, not too too much, I guess. Just uh, continuing to work on my normal stuff. How about you guys? Well, same here. I've got you know more more of those uh, Ask Leo short videos to throw out if I can. I'm actually hoping to push an update to one of my books. Um, if that happens, I'll mention it here again next week. Um, just another case of. You know, a couple of years worth of being on a shelf and enough changes that it's actually worth giving the, giving the thing a revision. Kevin? Uh, I don't know. I think I'm going to check the inbox again. I'm up to inbox 15, and that's unacceptable. I, uh, <laughs> I really enjoyed having none, but now uh, I've got like four emails from Randy to deal with. So, well. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm at, I'm at inbox 8,800. Read it and weep. <laughs> hey, you, you stayed under 9,000. I'm impressed. Good job. Yeah. Very proud. I've been at inbox zero, but who's counting? You apparently. <laughs> Randy, what are you up to? I'm working on my new website still, and uh, a couple of you guys have some uh, some input due, which I think is what Kevin was just talking about. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, some of us have actually given input, but I'm not going to name names. <laughs> no, you wouldn't do that. <laughs> so... Moving on and, and you know doing the usual. Awesome. Cool. So is that is that our spot now? Are we done? Yeah, I think so. Sounds good. All right. Well, you can find the uh, I I can talk really I can't the show notes for this week at tehpodcast.com slash teh forty seven. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at the teh podcast. 
Thanks for listening. We'll see you again here next week. See ya. Bye. Bye. Bye.